Thank you. Chris said he wasn't going to lower the stand for me, so Calissa said she had my back. Um, Good morning. What's wrong? So my name is Leah. This is my fourth year serving with this ministry. Um, Yeah, so if you guys haven't been here in a while, actually, I need my timer. We are doing a series called Life Stories. So the purpose of this series is that um, Dave and the leaders want you guys to know that The gospel is not just words that you read in a book. Um, It transforms lives, and you've heard that the past couple weeks, and you're going to hear that coming up um, in the next few weeks, and today I get to tell my story. So I had a pretty good childhood when I look back. I'm the middle of three kids. My uh, older brother, Luke, is almost three years older than me. He, I described him as the perfect uh, mix of mischievous and supportive. He is now a veterinarian, and he's married to my sister-in-law, Ellen, and they just had their first son, Gabriel. My little sister is almost three years younger than me. She followed the footsteps of a lot of the men in my family, and she is a physical therapist in the Army. So she is stationed in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. We get along now, but for my mom, that hasn't always been the case, as I was trying to put her in a headlock, as our big brother taught us how to do. So this is my family. Kelsey referenced the denim phase, and it went on into 2006, apparently, which is when this picture was taken. So my dad was a chaplain in the military, which means he was a preacher. He is since retired and is now a marriage and family therapist. My mom was a teacher, and for the vast majority of her career, she was a special ed teacher, and she, I think, just retired from Belton ISD. That's still up for debate. Um, With my dad being in the military, we moved a lot. So we went Oklahoma, Texas, Hawaii, Texas, Virginia, Texas, South Carolina. They moved to Germany, which we will talk about, and then we all came back to Texas. Uh, My dad had one deployment when he was in the National Guard to Desert Storm, so this is him coming back. He's holding my little brother, or my big brother, I'm sorry. The three people around him are my cousins, and then that's actually his little sister in the background. Um, I was nine months old when he left, so when my dad came back, I didn't really know who he was. Um, So there was some sticky situations and tough situations with the military. This is when he came back, I think from Cuba. That can be the only time I remember him coming back. So he's holding me on the left and then my little sister on the right. He was in Cuba just for a few months. They called that a TDY. So with my dad being a pastor, I grew up in the church. Most of the time he was in the pulpit. I was surrounded by extremely healthy marriages, so my parents are over there. That's who I keep looking at. So they, next week, they will celebrate their 35th wedding anniversary, and both sets of my grandparents have been married for over 60 years. Um, my, yeah. my mom's parents have been married for 67 years before my pa passed away. So this is us now. Excuse me. Um, this was taken a few weeks ago in Florida. Chris is not in the picture because he was in New York with you guys. So you see my dad, my sister, and my brother, my sister-in-law's, holding Gabriel, who wasn't quite three months at that time, me and my mom. Okay, I'll come back to that picture. So um, I won't say that my childhood growing up was perfect, but looking back, I can say that we are extremely blessed in the least cliche way possible. I think that you will learn that God's goodness and his grace has been overwhelming to my family. If you know my family, or you see the way Kiki and Pops, as my friends call them, love our community, it's hard to deny that the love of Christ is on display. So this is my side of the family at our wedding, and it wasn't even my whole side of the family. So you can notice the height difference. Chris is in the middle, 
everybody behind him is one or two steps higher than he is. So he is quite a bit taller than the rest of my family. Um, so I thought I would show that to you guys because he couldn't find a picture when he was doing his talk. So not only was I close with my immediate family, I was really close with my extended family, um, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, and my cousins. So both of, both of my grandmas tell a story that's similar, but this is the one that my dad's mom told me. So I was at their house. It was before I was three because my little sister wasn't born, and I really, really wanted to watch a VHS, probably the Jungle Book because that's what I watched when I was little. But there was something stuck in the VCR, which was probably my brother's Power Ranger movie. So somehow they decided it was a good idea to give a toddler a butter knife because to get the, to get the tape out, you slid it on the side and you just pop the back of it and it would pop out. My grandma says that she did not help me. One, she didn't know how to work a VCR. And two, I insisted, I can do it all by myself. I got it. I can do it all by myself. And that mentality would direct me as I entered into childhood, um, my teenage years, and early adulthood. Those grandparents actually aren't in this picture. Um, my grandpa was really sick and had just gotten out of the hospital when we got married, so they were unable to make it to our wedding. Um, I'll talk about Granny. So she's, well, it's kind of dark. You can't really see her, but she's up there. We'll talk about her in a little bit, too. So being an army brat, we moved around frequently, and I used this as an opportunity to rely on myself. I thought I was responsible for my success, my identity, and my relevance. I was in charge, and part of it wasn't inherently bad. I focused on schoolwork, but then that became um, an identity and achievement, I think. And I attempted to place my purpose on being the smartest, being the best, whatever. I just, it was about me. I was also really mean. Um, looking back, I didn't care what I said about anybody. I would spread gossip and probably add some juicy details that were not true onto it. Um, and I didn't really care if people were hurt by it, because as far as I was concerned, it was me against the world. Um, and I, I don't think I realized that at the time, just how harsh I was, but my life revolved around myself. What made myself, what made my life easier, what made me look better, what was the more appealing option, that was the way I was going to go. I proclaimed Christianity, but my life did not indicate it. So the verse that came to mind for this, for me, was Romans 3.10, or, I don't know, I have 3.11 on here and 3.10. I'll have to look that up. So either way, the verse says, Robert's looking it up for me, thank you. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So um, the irony in this is that I desired to have a good outward appearance, so I was the good girl to my friends, parents, or other adults, but I lived a very fake life, and it was confusing and exhausting. Um, I mean, pride was overwhelming kind of my identity, and again, I didn't really care. It hurt friends, it hurt family, it hurt people, but I felt comfortable, so that's what I thought mattered. Was that 11? You held up a 2. Romans 3.11. So this reference is correct. Um, this picture is kind of hard to see. I actually didn't even know we had a picture of this. But I would say my, fa my family dynamic shifted in March of 2004 when my dad was deployed to Iraq. So he deployed March 16th, 2005, and came back before March 15th. Oh, no, no. March 16th, 2004, and came back sometimes before March 15th, 2005, because March 15th is my birthday, and that was the first time I remember my dad being home for two birthdays in a row. Um, we got one video chat while he was deployed, so that's what this picture is. That's my mom and my sister, and my dad is on the other screen. We were in a big auditorium like this, so it wasn't really personal. Other conversations were done through phone calls or emails. While my dad was over there on Mother's Day 2004, they uh, were attacked, and so the attack is known as Black Sunday. Black Sunday. 
It's the largest casualty day for the 1st Cav Division at that time since Vietnam. Um, actually, the National Geographic made a miniseries about it because, it because of the impact that it had. So my dad saw and experienced a lot during that year, and when he came back, it caused a division in the family. So we laugh about it now because they tell the soldiers, hey, when you come back, don't try to just rush into your like, family. Dynamics have changed. You need to just see what's happened. Well, my mom started saying things like, Leah, you fat lard, just eat your dinner. Or when we were hungry, go make yourself a dang quesadilla because Napoleon Dynamite came out while my dad was gone, and he didn't understand these references. We quote it frequently now. He's nodding. So my dad was like, oh, my gosh, my family has gone off the deep end while, I'm go- while I was gone. I have no idea what's happening. So we laugh about it now. Um, but later, my dad was... While he was gone, he sustained a brain injury and was later diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's, it was a hard time for our family, and we still are battling through that. Um, there's been a lot of yelling and tears, a lot of crying out in frustration to God um, in prayer. But by the grace of God and his goodness, we've been given the power of Christ to continue to love one another, and we've been given even more grace to abound as situations still arise. Our family has grown in bonded since then. Um, again, something I think only happens by the power of God. Our family is strong. For an army buzzword, we are resilient. But this is not our own power, and we thank God for that. Because if we are left to our own devices, it, it wouldn't have turned out like this. So I had a chance to reset when we moved from Fort Hood to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, in the summer of 2006. That transition started off pretty rough. We left my brother back here because he had graduated from high school. And that first summer, I had some freak out moments thinking I was being left at Walmart in the middle of the night, and it was just rough. Um, But that first summer, we didn't have any friends. And so I got a lot closer with my little sister and with my parents. Once school started, I got in with a really, really good group of girls. Um, We had guy friends too, but it was pretty much the nine of us. We were known as the beefs, which stood for the best friends. We were pretty supportive of each other. We encouraged each other to do well in school. I was thinking of the achievement culture is super high in this group. So starting with me, I'm at like 4 o'clock and going around. Um, Marissa is a mom, but she's married to a professional golfer. Laurel is an oncology nurse. Ashley was aspiring to be a physical therapist. Alexis is um, a pediatric doctor. Dana started a fitness group in Charleston. Savannah got married and works for her husband's family. Blair was um, a flautist. Who play, she plays on the New York Philharmonic. And then Rachel, who is above me, is um, studying to be a nurse anesthetist. So achievement was very high in my group. And we placed our identity in that. We were weird. We did have our own language that still comes out in our family. And we didn't call each other by their name. So in full disclosure, they called me Keebs because they said I was short like the Keebler elf. So that is still what I'm referred to by my friends from high school. Um, I also had a phenomenal group of friends from church. So this is kind of our core group after we got back from a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. So again, that's me. It's my friend Jonathan. We'll come back and talk about him in a second. Krista, my sister, and then Mike. Um, And Jonathan and Mike played a really big part in what I would consider my rebellion in college. One thing that I think was a mistake that I made here is I kept my church friends and my school friends separate. Part of that was just by nature. Um, I had two friends from from church that I was close with that I went to high school with, Mike being one of them, but um, I didn't try to engage and mesh those together. I was pretty good at keeping them separate. 
So I used moving as, as an excuse to not be rooted in Christ, as Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, which is, therefore, if you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So how do you plant roots in anything if your life is marked by change? Um, what do planting roots even look like? I, di- I, didn't, I didn't know what those looked like, or at least those were lies that I told myself to avoid conviction. I needed those roots because I decided to go to the University of South Carolina. I was going to study exercise science. This was fall of 2008. I thought I was going to be 30 minutes away from my parents. It would, my school was in the capital city, so it would, just, it would be like going to UT from here. Um, I paid my deposit. I was going to go there, and my dad got orders to Germany. So I was going to be in South Carolina. Luke was actually transferred to Texas A&M at that time, and then my sister and my parents were moving to Germany. Um, so this is where my second word comes in. Um, I would say I became overwhelmingly clear of God's relentless pursuit of me. Uh, like Chris said in my testimony, or in his testimony, I was baptized when I was eight, but here I was 10 years later at 18, and I had no idea what a personal relationship with Jesus Christ looked like. Um, I had been taught. I had been shown. I, I just, it didn't translate to me. Um, and this was really scary. So my parents moved me in the dorm on Saturday, and they PCS or moved to Germany on Monday. The guy that I was dating at the time moved away to a different college four or five hours away, and so I was alone to do things all by myself, which is what I had been asking for for the 18 years prior to that. Um, the scary thing is that this mentality was actually, like, bolstered in me. So I remember going home to Thanksgiving home to Oklahoma for one Thanksgiving, and my dad's older brother was just holding me and crying because he was like, you're so far away. But he said, you've always been strong enough to do it on your own. So instead of, like, they they bolstered that idea of you're independent, you have this, you don't need anybody else. Um, And I used that to rely on myself in a really sinful way. So I spent a lot of time visiting my friends my first semester in college, which means I was not home for church on Sunday mornings. And Jonathan, one of the guys in the picture, he was a junior in high school at the time, and he said, um, hey, my friends have started to go to this new church. It's called Midtown. It's like two minutes away from your dorm. I want you to come with me. And it met on Sunday nights. So I didn't really have an excuse to not go. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll go with you. This, what was, uh, well, this is what was on the screen the first Sunday that I went. Actually, it was a picture of the pastor who had a big beard. His name was John Ludovita. We called him John, wearing a bib, sitting in a high chair, playing in baby food. And the sermon was called Feed Yourself, and it was based off of Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 that says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For anyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice and distinguishing good from evil. This haunted me. I had grown up in the church. I should have known enough to, to be teaching and leading other people, but I didn't even want the milk for myself. Um, I remember feeling really, really convicted. The Spirit was telling me I was consuming something. I was feeding off of something, but it was relationships I shouldn't have been in, friendships I shouldn't have been in. There was a lot of partying, but it was anything other than the Word of God. I was consuming whatever the world put in front of me. I was convicted but I wasn't willing to change. So this is where Mike comes in. So Mike was a senior where I graduated from high school. 
so he was still close by, and he would call me and say, hey, mom wants you to come home for the weekend. So Mike was the oldest of three boys, and we always joked that I was a favorite child because his mom didn't have any daughters. So I would pack up, go to Mike's house for the weekend, and his mom and his, his dad, his dad was also a chaplain, they would pour into me, they would love on me, and they took me to church. Um, Mike knew my sin, and as a brother in Christ, he confronted me on it. He loved me enough to tell me when I was wrong, but he was, a pa- he was patient enough to not leave me alone in it. Even when Mike went away to West Point, he would call me at random times, which were not random, because I was about to get in business that I had no business being in. Hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? Who have you been hanging out with? And I believe that God really used Mike at this point in my life. Um, he was so gentle in his words to me, but he didn't shortchange the truth. And I think that that's a, a really delicate balance to find. He was very, very honest, but he was very, very gracious in it. Mike is still one of my friends to this day. And actually, Chris gets to meet him soon, and I get to meet his wife and his daughter because Mike is in the military, and they are moving to Fort Hood. So that's one of the cool things about um, God in the military is that situations get created. Like, you leave, but they come back. Um, I kept going to Midtown through the rest of my college time there. I never joined a life group, and I never signed up to serve in the church. I just consumed. So I would go and hear what Luda or Adam would have to say, and then I would leave. So I say I was living with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, which means I had no feet in the church. Um, I was going through the motions, but I, I didn't know what to do with the convictions of my sin, and so I ran. And I realize now that it was the God's kindness that was calling me to him, um, but I was running because I enjoyed my sin. That leads us to my parents in Germany. So... There was about a month that I went to Germany in the summer of 2011, so before I graduated college and they were about to move back. And somehow I ended up leading a service trip to Romania with Club Beyond. I think I ended up leading it because my dad was in charge of the trip. They needed another adult leader, so I was on a bus with 100 teenagers. I knew two of them, my little sister and her best friend Katie. Um, For 24 hours, we were on a charter bus. We drove from Germany to Romania. This was taken as we were coming into our camp. We slept in tents for 10 days, and there was literally just, you know, shepherds out there with sheep in our tents. Um, If you don't know what Club Beyond is, it is the military branch of Young Life. So I was with them. I led a tent with about six girls. I invited in two uh, two of the translators and one of the nurses. We would have our leader discussion in the morning, and so I still remember his name was Jake Bland. He was from Houston, Texas, and that morning he said, we're going to talk about sin tonight, but I don't want you to talk about grace. He said in the Western, in Western Christianity, we run to grace, and we, we don't want to talk about our sin, but that means we take our, our grace for granted. I don't know about the ethical implications of that, but it worked for me, so I can't really knock it. Um, that night in our tent, you know, we talked about, I'm rude to my parents, I'm mean to my sister, And then some of the other adults in our group got really real. Um, One of the girls, actually, one of the teenagers had had a sister who died of suicide. Another one of the high schoolers had just gotten out of hospitalization for an eating disorder. One of the leaders blamed herself for her sister's sexual assault that eventually ended in abortion. So there was, like, very heavy, heavy sin. And all I remember was, this is despair, this is distress, and this is depravity. It was the heaviest conversation I've ever been in. Um, But I began to understand the weight of my sin, and I understood that I needed Christ. I was thankful for the cross talk the next night, because I believe that's when I fully repented. So I say I became a believer at 8, but I didn't become a follower of Christ until 21. 
I understood his redemptive power. I understood that he came out of the grave not to just fulfill prophecy of, of him dying to defeat death, but that he rose to conquer my sin. Um, we see this in 1 Corinthians. So the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the, glory, uh, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he want in return? Not my good works, not my lip service. He wanted me to fully trust him in faith, and he wanted me to enjoy him forever. But more than that, he wanted me to glorify his name so that others may come to know him. So I came back, and that summer I emailed the Club of the On director of Fort Jackson, which actually wasn't even a club yet. Long story short, I met a guy named Dave Peterson at a Chick-fil-A in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was added to the Club Beyond team. Dave and his now wife, Ashley, were the ones that um, really helped me get a, a passion for teaching high schoolers. Um, so I ended up giving the crosstalk that year, which is what the, all the talks that everything builds up to, and I realized that I never wanted to top, stop telling the story of rescue and redemption. Um, and just a fun side fact of the military and God thing working again, my sister is now one of the military sponsors of that club that I helped start in 2011. So it's kind of cool to see what has happened through that. Um, I realized in my running from summer of 2008 to 2011, again, that God was relentlessly pursuing me to come to him. I think it's important for us to realize that God doesn't force us into a relationship with him, but he beckons us into one because he desires goodness for his children, and he desires to be close to those of us that he calls his children. And I believe once you taste the full sweetness of God's grace that you can't truly know, or you can't truly say no. So eventually I couldn't deny who God was, what he had done for me, and what he was calling me to do. I said bye to my club girls that year, and I pulled over on the side, or at our last club, and I pulled over on the side of I-20, and I was crying. So I did what I, what I always did when I needed advice, and I called my granny. And I told her, Granny, I really feel called to go into full-time ministry with Young Life, but I've already, like, I'm leaving this week for grad school. What do I do? And she just said, Sugar, why do they have to be separate? And that's when, I, that's when my um, theology of work changed, I think, and I realized God was calling me to Lubbock. He was calling me to be an occupational therapist and eventually a hand therapist. So that conversation took me to Lubbock, which is eventually what brought me here. So I'm going to give you two definitions for my third word. So my third word is not perseverance, which is what some people would use in this situation. But perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Preservation is a state of being preserved, especially to a specified degree. Um... Perseverance isn't a bad definition. I just think preservation is what fits me better because I wasn't doing the work. It was God. How does this happen? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it well. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one to glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. This is, I'm going to kind of breeze through these. There's a couple big topics here. But the first one was, August 2012, I was sitting in my dining room table studying for my anatomy final, which is a big deal. If you don't pass that in grad school, you're in academic probation, and it's not a good situation for the rest of your two and a half years of schooling. Um, an unfamiliar name popped up on my phone, and so I answered it. Um, he said, hey, Ash is in surgery. So Ash is, Ashley is one of the girls that was one of my beefs. Ashley was pretty accident-prone, so that wasn't, like, a huge thing. She was kind of always getting hurt, and so I was like, okay, okay, I'll pray about it. And he said, no, Leah, it's an aneurysm, and it's really not good. 
So I knew that that was a big situation. It's a, essentially a bleed in your brain. Um, but I didn't realize how much that phone call would change my life. And so I said, I got to go study. Keep me updated. Less than an hour later, I got a phone call from another friend, and he was just weeping. And he said, um, Ash is gone. So my, my best friend had died. My story doesn't go like Kelsey's last week. Um, there was a saying that went viral, but it wasn't based off of a Bible verse. The message was live life like it was meant to be. And I realized this is the best life that Ashley will ever have because Ashley's not a believer. Um, Ashley's obituary says that she is in heaven with her heavenly father, and I don't believe that that's the case. Ashley told me she didn't believe in Christ. Um, but the worst thing is, she was my best friend for six years. How many times did I tell her the gospel? Zero. And I knew she wasn't a believer. But I, I just didn't, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't share the gospel with her. Looking back, I can like, why didn't I do this? I, I don't know. I can't bring Ashley back. I can't make her a believer. But I knew what I could do was I could share the gospel with urgency. I engaged my friends in conversations. I started a Bible study at my church. Um, I dove head first into the community that God gave me in Lubbock, and I'm forever and grateful to them. I am forever grateful for them. Through all of it, I clung to two verses. Psalm 2911, which I have tattooed on me because of how, like, what it did for me. It says, the Lord gives strength to his people, and he blesses his people with peace. I had an overwhelming peace that I believe is the the peace that surpasses all understanding that's talked about in Philippians 4-7. So the world was telling me I should be distraught, but God in his goodness helped me quickly see the good that was coming from this situation. Um, I don't say this as a sob story or like to brag about me being able to see God's goodness sooner. That, that was his grace. But I'm entreating you to not only believe and proclaim the gospel, but live out the gospel in a way that others may see him and know him. And, and like, we can understand that even when we don't fully understand, God is working and he's so, so good. Okay, so I think I'm done crying. Fast forward to June 2014, I was moving back to Belton to live with my parents to finish my clinicals. They were already at TBC, so I decided to just try here and I never left. So part of the process of me being secure in my faith um, was that fall I started meeting with my mentor. She challenged me on my identity in Christ as we walked through the book of Ephesians. So my first assignment was to write down every identifier of who I am in Christ in Ephesians. And this book impacted my degree, or impacted my identity more than my degrees, my certifications, my pedigree of good works ever could. So these, I'm not, I don't have time to go into them, but if the leaders want to write down and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and Ephesians 3, 6, 19 at your tables, these verses help me rest in the finished work of Jesus and realize that I can never achieve a status on my own. The gift of the newness of life was and is grace, and there was relief in no longer striving, um, and it was freeing. My sinful nature means that I am messy, but my justification in Christ and subsequent sanctification means that I am to embrace that by laying it down at the foot of the cross. The Ephesians 3 verses that you'll read with your table show um, where I was supposed to plant my roots, so that kind of came full circle. On a lighter note, this is the verse that I was quoting in Sunday school that made Chris do a double take. So he said he heard somebody quoting scripture, and he did one of these out of his chair to see who it was. And obviously that led to us dating and getting married. We do say Teresa Johnson is here. We do say that the reason we met is because Chris was afraid to tell Teresa Johnson no, because it was her idea that he came to the singles ministry in the first place. So thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, that, we get that. So we've been at TBC the entire time we've been a couple. We were engaged in the portables. We were the first um, group to be, or the first couple to be, not group, we don't believe that here. The first couple to be married in the chapel at Creekside. Um, we love TBC. Um, and we love serving and teaching together. And we love our community, most of them who are here today. Chris and I have only been married for about two and a half years, um, but it hasn't been easy, mainly due to things outside of our marriage. So we walked really closely through some family friends who were in an affair and an almost divorce, and then we had the same situation happen with some distant relatives. Um, We've prayed through and grieved multiple miscarriages of our sisters and sister-in-laws, and right before we got engaged, um, Chris experienced the death of a grandparent. This picture was taken at our wedding as we were taking um, communion, and I think that I picked this because I think that this picture shows a lot of our posture throughout this past year. About this time last year, Chris and I had a really rough relationship with the church body at TBC. Um, Some things happened, some bad counsel was given, and ultimately we were asked um, to step out of fellowship in our Sunday school group, and some of our friends were told not to reconcile with us. We had conversations We decided to stay. Um, We struggled for a really long time with leaving the church and mourning the relationship of some of our best friends, and we we were just lost. Ultimately, what kept us here is the ministry that's in this room. So we had given you guys and Dave our word that we were going to be here for another school year, um, and, and we stayed, and it was really hard. But we saw God's graciousness a few months later. We made new friends with people in the young adults group. Um... Some people left, and then we were able to reconcile with our old friends, and we are seeing a revival in our small group. Uh, John Linegar sometimes just pops in at our house because he lives in our neighborhood, which means sometimes he walks in on what he calls our grown-up G-groups that go on at our house where we just sit there and we wrestle through tough topics. John came to our house yesterday, actually. Um, (laughs) You did. You were there. God has been so gracious to us in that ministry. Um... If it hadn't been for y'all in the ministry in this room, I'm not sure if we would still be at TBC. So one of my favorite Christian authors and speakers, Jackie Hill Perry, is who you guys met at Equip Group, or in the Equip Group, Messy Grace. She shared her rocky past with the church, and she said, here, she said do you know who, you, who God used to heal me of my hurt of the church? It was the church. This room is a living and breathing example of that for me. The people sitting on those couches over there and some dispersed throughout the tables um, our tangible proof that God is good and he desires for us to be in community that he sustains through his faithfulness. If you're not in community because of something negative that has happened at TBC or at another church, I'm begging you to please come and talk to somebody um, because we want to be a community that shares the gospel from within and we can't do that if we're not reconciled with one another. I'm almost done, I promise. So this past year, we listened to the same song over and over and over and over again. It's, actually, it's called Anchor by Beautiful Eulogy. I don't know if Chris played it on purpose or if it was just a coincidence, but we listened to it almost every day that we were in the car. More than the song, we trusted the verse that it was based off of, which is Hebrews 6, 19, that says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So that means when we wanted to waver and leave, he held firm. He keeps us, not us keeping ourselves, which is goes back to that preservation versus perseverance word. God is continually showing me that it is his staying power that sustains me, not my own efforts. My ultimate desire for y'all is to be secure in the steadfast anchor that is our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. 
that you would have an urgency to tell others of his goodness, and you would embrace the community and the church you have been placed in to encourage and equip you as you go out. I love all of you, and I'm blessed by you. You have a few minutes for discussion questions at your table. And please, read those Ephesians verses, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and 3, 17 through 19, or 16 through 17.